0: Helps you to understand and experience the depth of God's love for you and the entire world. Thanks for listening. 14th chapter, verses 8 through 17, and 25 through 27. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and still you do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, and you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. The gospel of the Lord. You see it. So, as I said, I thought this morning we would talk about the Old Testament passage, the passage from the Hebrew Bible and the Tower of Babel, what that might mean for us today, um, and what it might have meant back then, and why we would it be selected to be here for Pentecost. But I want to ask something first. How many people? are not in your regular seat because you walked in and somebody else was there this morning. Because we have two services going on and hopefully you'll be able to, you know, you've been through that little bit of discomfort and you are focused now, and you'll be okay uh, being in a different location for for the time being. So the Tower of Babel, there's several ways in which we can look at it. We can look at what it means for the time then, that contextually, when was it written? Why was it written? We can look at it contextually of where it falls within Scripture. What was happening right before it? What is happening right after it? And we can look at it contextually for us today. How is what is going on then still going on now? So briefly, I'd like to talk about those three aspects of it. First, Genesis. So I going to do a little bit of a Bible study aspect of it. Genesis 1 through 11. It is what is called more primeval history. It is prehistory. I do not believe, the vast majority of scholars, uh, that it actually depicts actual events that happened. Instead, what is happening in the events of Genesis 1-11, through 11, this is the creation story, remember there's two creation stories, the creation story of what, in seven days, then you have the creation story uh, that involves Adam and Eve, you have uh, the fall with uh, the serpent and the apple, or the fruit. You have the story of Noah. You have Cain and Abel, and you have this Tower of Babel. Those stories are not about the fact that they happened, but more we look at it, how are they still happening? What are those themes that occurred that are playing themselves out? that those themes are still going on today. And what were those themes that were happening at the time in which they thought this story was one that needed to be passed on to help explain the situation that they are in? Why is the world the way it is? Does that make sense? Why is the world the way it is? Most scholars, if I understand and remember this correctly, think this story was probably written down or passed on around the time of the Babylonian exile. Now you all know what the Babylonian exile is, right? It's okay to say no. Babylonian exile is a time in which of history in which the Israelites, right, they've been free uh, from Egypt. They come into the promised land and they set up shop and they live there. Unfortunately, what happened, they went from being the oppressed, slaves in Egypt, to now being the oppressors. And what happened is once they were the oppressed, oppressors, prophets said, essentially, you got to turn your ways or good things are not going to happen to you. And so first, the Assyrians came in and conquered what's known as the northern kingdom. That happened in the 780s, something maybe. And then the Babylonians came in and took over the Assyrians and then moved farther south into southern Israel and uh, destroyed the temple at the time and all the leaders were dispersed. They were put out in exile. So the Babylonians conquered and put the people in exile. Hence we have the term Babylonian exile. And so the people thought they were promised this land. One of David's heirs would always sit on the throne. And that is no longer happening, okay? So much of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, is trying to understand that. And so, events or history is passed on about what happened, and stories are created and are passed on to help understand it as well. There is a school of thought, and this story was created to pass on, why are we scattered? Right? The people were at one at the beginning of the story and they're scattered at the end. What is going on? There was hubris that we are God. We can do anything. We don't need any bounds. We don't need any limits. We do what we want. That doesn't happen today, does it? No! <laughs> <laughs> And so it's about how do we properly use what we have been given in God-honoring ways for the benefits of others, not simply for ourselves. You know, it's interesting about the story. It seems like a little bit of throwaway. No longer did they use stones, but they used bricks and mortar, right? It's a huge technological advancement for them back then. You may not think that, but that really is. Now you can build these bigger structures. And what do they decide to use this new technological advancement for? I'm going to create a great name for myself. We're going to keep everything in, because if it gets spread out, man, we know we're not in control of that anymore. So let's keep it in. Right? So, there is a way in which that is reflected in the time of the Babylonian exile. The people went from the oppressed to becoming the oppressors. And this story helps to explain the situation they find themselves in. So that is contextually, historically, what it means. And that's most of Genesis 1 through 11. Pre-history, not history, helping to understand the way things are in the world. Then we can look at it also as, what's going on around this time in Scripture? I remember mean, the first time I heard this, I'm going to look at Vicki, I remember if you Remember the Bible study we were at at Methodist church you near know, our first apartment was an older retired pastor. And the first time I heard somebody say, I believe history actually enters into the Bible at some level in Genesis 12. Genesis 12. Now, that doesn't mean everything from Genesis 12 on is all historically, factually accurate. But that's the first time history begins to enter into it. And this is how God acts, right? So 1 through 11 is why are we the way we are? Genesis 12, God's going to do something about it. And Genesis 12 begins with the call of Abraham You will be blessed to be a blessing. What's interesting, when you compare this story, they will build these great structures. We will make our name great, right? In Genesis 12, exactly the the very next story, you know what? God says to Abraham, I will make your name great. It's a reversal. Babel, I'm going to do it. I've been given is insufficient so I need to prove it to myself and to other people. That doesn't happen at all, does it? Rather, do we trust the name God has given us? I will make your name great. That is the promise to Abraham. And to go forth, not as in the Tower of Babel, to hunker down to stay within, to not, right? We better not scatter, is what's going on in the Tower of Babel. We better stay in. But yet the promise given to Abraham is to what? Go forth. You are blessed to be a blessing, which actually harkens back to Genesis 1. The whole point of Genesis 1 is not that the world was created in seven days. The whole point of Genesis 1, God, called, all, God saw all that God had made and called very good. And what did God say to do? Be fruitful and multiply. Essentially, you are stewards of God's creation. Go forth and help everything, not just survive, but to thrive. Go out and do this work. God is with us, which brings us into Pentecost. The season of Pentecost comes by the giving of the Holy Spirit, because who is no longer around with the people Jesus, right? Jesus has ascended, but Jesus is not there, and I am sending one to be with you, an advocate. You are not alone. There is work to do. We continue the work of God, who is revealed to Jesus, to go out to let people know the real name. That the real name is Beloved. is our job. Far enough. To let people know that name is beloved. It's easy to stay in. It's easy to lock the doors, turn out the lights and hear a scary noise outside and hope it goes away. That's the story of Bell. God's story is not that the story of Pentecost is not that. Not to use our one voice for destruction, but to use the one voice of various languages, but one voice of love and of peace, and to build up and to encourage. How many people want that in their lives? How many people want that in the world? It's hard to do. It's easy to think that we're alone. The promise of Pentecost is that you are not. The promise of Pentecost is that we are not. Amen. That's the sermon for this week. We hope from it you learned a bit more about God's love for you and the world. Please subscribe and rate our podcast to help us be found by and reach more people. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, you are loved.